You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, welcome back to The Worship Review. On this podcast, we do Christmas carols? What? (laughs) I guess so. Surprise, surprise, (laughs) listeners. We're bringing you a series of short and sweet summaries of your favorite Christmas tunes. They may or may not end up being your favorites after we're done with them, though. We'll see. We're going to do a few during this Advent Christmas season that we've got going on. Then we'll get started with series two, as promised. But we decided to divert and just talk about some Christmas carols. We'll give them something like the standard treatment, give a little summary of the song, go through some key passages and key concepts, try to get a sense for the coherence of those songs. We may even talk about alterations that have been made, because in a few cases, these are quite old carols and hymns. And then we'll give a rating. Okay, so today we are going to take a, th- take a look at the song Silent Night by Joseph Moore and Franz Xavier Gruber. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Okay, so Tyler, just if you would, give us a bit of a summary of this song, what it's about, what happens, those sorts of things. Yes, this song depicts a scene, primarily. This song is oriented toward an image of the babe Christ, which a babe is just a word for baby. The baby Christ, uh, swaddled and cuddling with his virgin mother, where he was born in Bethlehem, with other scenes from his birth interspersed, like the angel's proclaiming to the shepherds his birth. And there's a little bit of a hint of the significance of this birth, the salvation of man. It's a pretty simple song, really. Quite simple, yes. Very straightforward and very descriptive. So Mm -hmm. it depicts this scene almost in painstaking detail. (laughs) And we'll talk a little bit more about what some of those details are. But many of them are visible and audible details about the person of Christ. Let's let's also say, before we jump in too much, this 19th century Advent hymn, originally from Austria, was introduced to the English-speaking world in the late 19th century by John Freeman Young's 1863 translation out of New York. Okay, so it was circulating in German for decades before. Yes. Primarily as a folk tune, and there were dance uh, little troops that would go around around Advent time and sing and play this song. Now this song is sung in almost like a, not quite dirgy way, but it just has this real contemplativeness to it. Yeah. And I wonder how it was sung originally. The original melody is quite similar to the one that we have right now. And I, I was doing a little bit of research into the backstory of the song. It was written to be accompanied only by a guitar and okay. voice because the organ had been damaged by flooding at okay. this church in Austria. So I think we can expect that it would have been very quiet 
Okay. Okay. It was written for Christmas as well, in case that's not totally obvious. Well, it's not always obvious, as I'm sure, as we do a few other songs, we will, we we may talk about. Sure. But, um, yeah. Okay. I was curious about that because there are lyrics in the song that make me wonder if the song at some point was sung in a very different way. Mm-hmm. In fact, can we, shall we go ahead and talk about some of the words in the song? Yes. One more thing yes, before we do. That is that we're going to also take a look at what the original text was before it was translated into English yeah. when that's relevant and interesting. Because we'll find sometimes the translation does a better job than the original, and sometimes oh. the original does a better job than the translation. Okay, so those of you who are interested in learning some German today may do so. This is your podcast. <laughs> you will love this podcast. And it, it's okay. It's all right for Tyler to do that. He's a German speaker and I think has some German heritage. So you're allowed to make fun of Germans. And Yes. And Germans are also quite self-deprecating. Yes, that's they, right. they love to make fun of themselves. They actually have a sense of humor, unlike Americans and Canadians and a few other folks. They don't immediately jump to offense yes, when you yes. do this for them. The British are like that too. They have a great sense of humor. And it was shocking to come back to the U.S. and see everybody so uptight when we came back. Uh, okay, let's talk about the first stanza. Uh, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. So, Tyler, what's going on in this stanza? In the original German text, everyone is asleep, but the virgin and her child, who alone are keeping watch throughout this silent night. Whoa, really? Yeah, so you can imagine all of the animals, the people around, they're resting, but the Mother Mary is... We can stylize it how we want, but Mother Mary and Christ are awake at this time. But, you know, Christ isn't crying. He's peacefully resting in his mother's arms. And we have some interesting descriptions of Jesus. So we have this phrase, holder Knabe mm-hmm. im lockigen Haar, a lovely boy, a beautiful boy in the curly hair. Uh-huh. So many translations of this will say that the beautiful boy with curly hair or the lovely child with curly hair. He could also be in the curly hair of his mother resting there. But in English, it seems to be the case that this silent night extends also to the mother and yeah. child who are then sleeping in heavenly peace yeah. through the night of his birth. Yeah, the song almost seems to be saying to the the infant and mother that they should sleep or that they, you know, like, like I bid you good sleep, sleep in heavenly peace. Right. Like almost like we're watching them and we're seeing them asleep. Right. Perhaps even it's an inversion. Only the mother and child are asleep. Around them, it's bright. And yes. everyone's watching them and wishing them yeah. that they sleep in heavenly peace. But in German, it's um, alles schläft, everything sleeps, einsam wacht, only watches, only the traute hochheilige Paar, the intimate or trusted high holy pair. So ah. only that pair of individuals is keeping watch through the night. And in the German, it sounds like there's an an equation between the two. Bear in mind that this was written in a Catholic context. Ah. Sometimes you'll see in in translations of this or in lyrics of this, a comma after the word virgin. Really? I don't know why. That makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's an adjective. Virgin, yeah, exactly. It does not extend to both mother and child. I looked at the original 
translation of this into English by John Freeman Young. There's no comma there. Don't let anyone put a comma there. It's nonsense. Yeah. All is calm. All is bright. What's going on with bright, Tyler? Right. I wonder if this is meant to indicate a kind of medieval image of the, the Nimbus. halo around the Nimbus yeah. around the saints or a kind of divine radiance pouring forth from them. I wondered, do you think, Colin, there's there's radiance or brightness going on here? I do. This, remember, this is not in the original German text. This is added by the English translation. Okay, that's interesting to know. I, I do note that light is used again in the third stanza. Son of God loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn. So another... Uh, lightening that happens of redeeming grace. So it seems to me that there is a theme, at least in the English translation, of light, brightness, radiance, and the idea that this is somehow indicative of a divine nature. I don't know if it refers to the surroundings or something like that. Do you have some illumination on this? (laughs) Let me illuminate this for you. I wish, actually, I wish I could illuminate this for you a bit more. I, I can think in the in the story of the nativity in the new testament mm-hmm. light playing a role in the stars perhaps guiding the guiding the wise men mm-hmm. to bethlehem to see christ but i don't know it, well and also in the angels revealing themselves to the shepherds they're they're terrified at the sight of these angels singing these songs but I don't know if there's a depiction of Christ in in his nativity being bright or illuminating. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be trite about this, but I, I I do I don't think there's precedent for a glowing no. behavior here. In no. fact, uh, in fact, Isaiah fifty three two says, "My servant," referring to Christ. This is the New Living Translation. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Mm. So if if this radiance would have been beautiful or appealing to the eye, I don't know if it squares that well with what we would expect of Jesus from Isaiah 53, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to give the song a little bit of flexibility on this point as long as we're aware that this brightness doesn't have scriptural precedence. Round yon virgin, mother and child. There's the line, round yon virgin, mother and child. You have to know something, I think, about archaic English to be able to understand what that means. What's what's going on in that? Well, round is just a contraction of around. Mm Mm-hmm. Yan is referring this is an this is an archaic pronoun, a word that stands in place for another word. Yan means that one over there. <laughs> so around that one over there, virgin, okay. mother, okay, and child. It's useful to know this because these are songs that you just sing. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what they mean. You just sing them a million times because you sing them every year at Advent or Christmas. And only by looking at these lyrics analytically right now have I thought, what 
what exactly does that mean? Right. Round yon virgin. What is a yon virgin? Okay, it's <laughs> that virgin over there. Yes. And so when I said it stands in place for another word, it could also stand in place for multiple words. But you could imagine supplant changing the word yon to the or okay. that one over there, like that series of words. <laughs> That's also fine. That's okay. what pronouns are there for. Okay. Um, virgin mother is capitalized in the English translation that's that we have dating back to 1863. So, so a, this is a particular virgin mother. This is Mary. Yes, this is clearly Christ's mother. Yeah. In fact, perhaps this is almost a little bit redundant. We don't really need to specify which virgin mother yes. it is because in the Protestant tradition, only one person ever has had a virgin mother. Yes. And that's Christ. We would all, as Christians, confess that Christ was immaculately conceived. This is in virtually all of our all of our creeds: the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it was so it appears to have been added between 325 and the 381 Constantinople Nicene Creed. But it, it was clearly contentious enough back then that they felt the need to include it as a core. Orthodox yes. element yes, of our there, doctrine. I mean, I can say there were many Christian bishops who believed in the virgin birth, even in 325 and prior. The Nicene Creed is, and the Council of Nicaea happens in a highly politicized context. The Nicene Creed comes at a moment when the state and the church are beginning to intertwine themselves. And Christianity is moving out of the shadows and becoming a public religion. And so Roman religion doesn't really have a place for ideas of orthodoxy and heresy. So these church councils, they are intended to find orthodoxy, but they're also intended to find a kind of public orthodoxy. Uh, so so Christ, Christ was born of a virgin, and that virgin was Mary yeah. before she was ever with Joseph, the Holy Spirit— conceived a child in her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I was intrigued by the line, holy infant so tender and mild. Holy infant so tender and mild. These are adjectives, tender and mild, that we use to describe food these days, <laughs> right? So meat is tender okay. and hot sauce can be mild. Okay. <laughs> But this is sure. not what's going on, no, no. obviously, in the song. And I don't mean to be trite, but it's true. I mean, when have you ever said maybe tender-hearted or mild-mannered? Mild -mannered, yeah. But other than those almost fixed expressions, no. these are food. So tenderness here refers to a, a softness and a gentleness of spirit, a warmth and a friendliness. And mildness, when, we're, when we use the word mild, especially when we're referring to a ruler or a king in mm. English, we're talking about someone who has power and decides yeah. not to use it. That it, is a mild king. Yeah, it goes along with meek. Exactly. Yeah. We should all hope for those kinds of kings. Yeah. I mean, it also just, these are nice words that describe a sleeping baby too, right? That is, you're right. These are baby words. Yeah. A, a tender, tenderness is what we yeah. exercise with with yeah. really small babies. Let's talk about the second verse, Tyler. So we have this bright, calm night, Jesus is there with his mother, and then we get a real shift in the tone, although you wouldn't know it from the first line, because we still have Silent Night, Holy Night, and probably this song still being played with just a guitar or a piano and that sort of thing. But then we have 
not silence, not calmness at all. Yes. And this is a product of the the compiler's decision to take only three of six verses of this song into English. Mm-hmm. So this verse that is the second verse in the English, the most common English translation is actually the sixth and final verse of the original. So you can, you can imagine a kind of crescendo going on throughout mm-hmm. this song. Yeah. Uh, Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. So they're trembling in fear. Yeah. Glories stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing Alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. And in the 1863 English translation of this song, Christ the Savior is capitalized. So this is meant to be a title for Christ, a specific reference to scripture. But let's take a look at Shepherd's Quaking. Some English versions of this will change this line to be uh, shepherds first to see or something like that. So they Ah. don't like the idea of shepherds trembling in fear. That's a shame because scripture makes it very clear that the shepherds were afraid. And in fact, they have to be exhorted not to fear. So if we read in Luke 2 verses 8 through 16, and I, of course, won't read all this, but just if we read verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, then an angel then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for I bring you good news. So we have some shepherds that get the guacamole scared out of them. Right. I think the English Standard Version translates full of fear as terrified. Yes. Yeah. It's And in Greek, it's phobos. Okay. They were so, yes. absolutely, absolutely terrified by yeah. this. And who wouldn't be, right? Yeah. The, the, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Can you imagine? Yeah. I would be terrified too. Just to take a look at the, the scriptural reference here, the glory of the Lord is described in scripture as shining, like a beam or a ray of light. Yes. Again, something you can see, something you can experience. Exactly. And so I think that has to be the backbone for this interesting line in verse two, glories stream from heaven afar. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can imagine a beam of light coming from from the sky or something like Mm -hmm. that. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia, so praise ye the Lord. Christ, the Savior, is born. So now we're identifying that baby from the first verse with Christ the Savior, the one who will come, mm-hmm. Emmanuel, and be God with us and rescue his people. Mm-hmm. This line is quite similar to the original sixth verse of the German text. Okay. I won't I won't read it in German, but I can translate it. Silent night, holy night. Shepherds have just been made aware through the hallelujah of the angels. It's resounds loudly from far and near Christ the savior is here Christ the savior is here so their their resounding cry is yeah. kind of echoing through the region you get a little hint of that with the english in heavenly hosts saying alleluia which is also what we see in luke chapter 2 but the german really emphasizes the kind of almost auditorium aspect of it there's just the echoes of yeah. the 
of the proclamation just reverberating. Which would have been a wonderful and awe-inspiring and probably terrifying thing to behold. Yeah. The heavenly host, the army of God, yeah. shouting, praise ye the Lord, yeah. and the glory of God shining down, it would have been a quite a powerful experience. So I think that's why this verse stands in such stark contrast to the first in English. Mm-hmm. This is just one of those parts of a song where it's a shame that it's having to be sung in such a quiet way because this is such a, a majestic and a loud, bright event. It's not quite sacophonous because that would be chaotic sound. Yeah. yeah. It's organized yes. loudness. Yeah. So, Tyler, let's talk about the third stanza where... We now have a description of Jesus, and he is called the Son of God, and he is called love's pure light. Son of God, love's pure light. We know from Scripture that Christ is the light of the world. He says Mm -hmm. that about himself. We also know from Scripture that God is love. Mm -hmm. We have pure light, so undistilled, unaltered, unadulterated light of love itself Mm -hmm. coming down from heaven. So again, we have the image of light playing a role here, but this time it's referring to Christ himself. Mm -hmm. He is that light. And then it it expounds on this a bit. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. So we're back now to light uh, at least in the English translation, we're, we're, we're coming back to this idea that was brought up in the first stanza that Christ is somehow lit up in some way and uh, uh, almost something like the glory of God that shone around the angels to the shepherds, which is mentioned in the second stanza. So now we have that emerging. There are two options here. And I think I know which one is correct. Either these are unconnected fragments, love's pure light, and then unconnected fragment, radiant beams from thy holy face, unconnected fragment with the dawn of redeeming grace, or these are connected and this is just archaic, meaning old word order. Yeah. So I think I, I think what we have here is love's pure light radiant radiant referring back to light. Mm -hmm. Beams is a verb here, not a noun. So the light beams from Mm -hmm. thy holy face. So this is describing that light pouring forth from his face with the dawn, so the onset, the beginning of redeeming grace at thy birth, Jesus Lord. Okay, so you're saying, is radiant then an adjective for pure light? It's just that it's placed at the end in a kind of archaic way, almost like the way that this is done in French. So you, or Latin. Um, So you have the, the adjective following it. So, so loves pure radiant light beams from thy holy face. I think that's the best way of understanding. But instead of slinging all those adjectives together, there's an adjective pure ahead of light. And then we also have radiant uh, after light. Mm-hmm. and then beams being a verb. Yeah, that makes sense. As odd as that might feel, you might prefer it once you hear the original German that this is being translated okay. from. So, stille Nacht, heilige Nacht, so silent night, holy night, Gottes Sohn, God's son, oh, wie lacht, oh, how laughs, so this is a verb, we're going to wait for the subject, 
Liebe aus deinem göttlichen Mund. Love from out of your divine mouth. Da uns schlägt die rettende Stund. When the hour of salvation strikes us or strikes for us. So it's even more... <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't want to say... It's even more interesting and yeah. abstract in German. So the hour of salvation strikes us at the same time that love pours out of this child's divine mouth. I've seen things that come out of infant's mouth, and I wouldn't describe it as love. Nor would I. <laughs> Nor would I. So it's. I think this English translation does a better job than the original German of making something pour forth from this baby that is beautiful and symbolic of salvation. Um, I, I mean, certainly love pours forth from Christ as a baby, but the way it's put here is really, really clunky. Yeah. I, think. I like the, uh, the line about the dawn of redeeming grace. There's this idea maybe that with Christ's birth is also coming a new beginning, a new era of grace that is being brought as we have God in the flesh, Jesus Lord at thy birth. Yeah, that is nice imagery. I like also that in this stanza we have Son of God. So, and there's a lot of emphasis here on kind of the divine aspect of Christ, whereas in the first stanza we have a more emphasis on the just Human. the humanity. Oh, that is beautiful. So there's a nice contrast there with the with the scene with the angels in between so oh, colin that's a really good observation mm -hmm. so we have these two natures united yeah with the proclamation of scripture right and at first we just in the first stanza we just see we mostly see christ and the virgin as people and then we see the angels and then the third stanza is like oh yeah this is the son of god this is actually god in the flesh. It's almost like we kind of realize with the shepherds, we get the proclamation with the shepherds in stanza two. And so we go back and look at the at the baby and mother that we saw the first time and we're like, oh, wow. Okay. Mm. I don't know if that was intended in the English construction or why they put, put verses in certain places, you know, why they switched the sixth verse to the second verse. But to me, that kind of, that could make some sense. If you think about this in terms of a series of three scenes where you, you have the first scene in the manger, the second scene away from the manger, and then the third scene back in the manger after having this experience with the shepherds. Yeah, it, it is well curated in that yeah. way. I would say there are some verses that were taken out that I would like to have seen. Okay. So if, if I could, I'll just yeah. read a couple. Silent night, holy night, which brought salvation to the world from heaven's golden heights. Mercy's abundance was made visible to us. Jesus in human form, Jesus in human form. Then mm. verse four in the original, silent night, holy night, where on this day, all power of fatherly love poured forth. And like a brother, Jesus lovingly embraces the peoples of the world. Jesus lovingly embraces the peoples of the world. Silent night, holy night, already long ago planned for us when the Lord frees from wrath since the beginning of ancient times, a salvation promised for the whole world. 
Mm, that's salvation a nice one. promised for the whole world. That's a nice one. Wouldn't that be nice yes. if we could include that? And maybe we can if you if you would Figure like us. to find a nice translation yeah. of it. I mean that that is one. I mean, and maybe we're moving more into some kind of concluding thoughts about the song. That is one thing about the song is it is it, you know it does have these nice little vignettes, but it does lack a bit of power. It's just kind of subtle in a way. And man, some of those German verses are much clearer about the magnitude of what's happening. Like, and maybe part of it is just the archaic English in which it's written. So you have to really kind of think about what it's actually saying. But yeah, if you can find a way to incorporate some of the earlier, earlier stanzas into your church, I would recommend it. Chris Tomlin, uh, you know, Matt Redman, Hillsong, this is a money-making opportunity. So, you know, you can redo Silent Night and add these verses. Whoever does it first is going gonna, is gonna to make yes. a lot of money, I think. Yes, just on the royalties alone. So, Which is really what we're after on this podcast. That's right. <laughs> Don't forget to donate. <laughs> the English version, at least, the three verses we have are reasonably consistent. The language is a bit clunky, but it's an older song. And it's nice to go through it analytically because it helps you understand a little bit more of what's going on. There are some, you know, there are some little complaints that we've talked about. There's a sense in which probably the music and the words don't necessarily match up well in the second verse. Uh, But on the whole, I think this is a reasonable song to sing around the kind of Advent Christmas time. Tyler, what do you think? Yeah, there's certainly nothing objectionable, obviously objectionable in it. The image of light is used consistently and with scriptural basis, and the translation in some ways bests its original. Mm -hmm. So I would say I would endorse this song. And uh, what would you give it for rating? I'd give it four out of five locks of curly hair. Ah, okay. Nicely done. I give it four out of five broken organs. Well done, Colin. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you for checking out this week's episode of The Worship Review. More Christmas and Advent songs to come next week. We'll see you then. Take care. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.